They're guys. They do magic. magic. They are the magic guys. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 160. We're getting closer to the magic guys where we answer your questions as professional magicians and we have some fun along the way. To my left, we have Doug Khan. What's up? Oh, yeah. To my right, we have a clean-shaven baby face, Nick Kay. I used to have a beard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love it. And I'm your boy, Josh Nobito. Welcome to the show. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Apologies. That's my fault for us starting a few minutes late if you're here live. But nonetheless, how are you boys today? Living the dream. It's been it's been an amazing week. We've been performing over the weekend for Pink's VIPs. I got to do those shows here in Melbourne myself. I'm going to see Blink 182 tonight. That's going to be sick. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just happy to be here. What a rocking gig. You're at the Pink concert working the VIP crowds. Is that that's the skit? You bet. And I got I get to wear a wristband that's a staff pass so I can just go anywhere I want. And so I just like walk all the way up through the mosh pit to the front of stage and just enjoy the show. And what a show it is. She's Man, she's throwing down, right? Like she does put on for she's been around a while. She's not a spring chicken and to fly mm. around like she does. What? She looks a million bucks. Man. She sounds like $10 billion. Like she has an amazing voice. And my goodness, friends, what a show. She's doing acrobatic sort of stunts all the while singing in perfect pitch. Like it is, it is brilliant. I can recommend if you like have an opportunity to see it either like on the telly or some sort of DVD format, like by all means, like I have two of her live DVDs already. I'm a big fan. I think she's amazing. The only problem is you just got to figure out how to watch the DVD. Because uh-huh. that's old. That's old stuff. Anyway, Animal. also, speaking of new technology, you know, an easy way to watch stuff and listen to stuff is through uh, the speak pipes that you guys send to us. Speakpipe.com forward slash the magic guys. Now, I had a pop up. I had a message from Andy, one of our listeners, Andy Massey. And, but there was no audio when he sent it through. So I hit him back. I was like, bro, couldn't hear anything. So he sent this one back. And I just wanted to say that because of the context of he'll start by saying, Oh, the first one's stuffed up. So let's see what Andy's up to in his part of the world. Hey, guys. Sorry, I think it was because I probably had an AirPod or connected to a TV or something. So hi, kiddo. Hi, kiddo. This is uh, Dad Life. Who are you talking to? I'm talking to the Magic Guys. You want to say hi, Magic Guys? Hi, Magic Guys. So I'm performing at a wedding in New Orleans. What's up, Doug? Hi, Doug. I And so um, basically I have a, a friends that are getting married and they asked me to perform because um, and gonna, and I have a new haircut because I'm going to be in the wedding. My child got a haircut. He wanted to tell you all that. So I had a question about material to use. So I'll be. Haircut. Yeah, it's a real haircut. So I'll be doing. Ten, ten one. Okay, now be quiet. So I'll be doing some walk around magic and then I'll be doing a uh, intimate performance for the bride and bride. So I already have an anniversary waltz. That's just what everybody says you should do. Any other advice on material I should do for specifically for weddings or for a small intimate performance for wedding? Yep. That's it. Thanks for putting up with the uh, kiddo. Thanks guys. Yeah. Yo, thank you for the message. Cool. Yeah. The mm-hmm. award for most adorable speak pipe goes to those guys. Thank you kindly for turning that in. Hundred um, percent. I wonder what a, what is a fake haircut? Like he got a real haircut, not a pretend. 
<laughs> what is the what's the real haircut? Yeah. Just when you use the doll the when you use the Barbie doll scissors that you get in the oh, kit where it doesn't oh, actually yeah. Let me see. I don't know. The fisher I'm in that, yeah, that makes sense kinda. It's not like we we can give a lot of um advice on, yeah. on these on this topic. No. No, <laughs> but the magic, sure. Sure. All right, so, yeah, winning so, gigs. What's your yeah. thoughts? Okay, so I mean, we we obviously know the obvious ones, which is like your anniversary waltz and and so forth. My personal favorite effect to do for a wedding is Axel Hecklau's fusion, in which you have two cards, a king and a queen, and then you fuse them together in this beautiful gimmick where it's the cards are torn in half, and then you so you have basically the two cards, tear them in half, you put two pieces away. So you have half a queen, half a king. You fuse them together and then give them the actual bits. So I think that's a winner. That's pretty cool. I've seen Benny Chickarine do this with sign cards. Two sign cards, one and a half, fused together and given away. So that would be Siamese, Siamese twins. Is that what he calls that trick? Hmm. But look, this is this is like similar to anniversary waltz, kind of. I think we need to look in a different vein for this gentleman. Yeah. I think any any time, personally, when it, when it, anything that can be left as a magic souvenir, I think is pretty fitting for a wedding. So, even liquid metal is a good contender because yeah. before you start the routine, you can have them sign it, and then that way at the end, you've got this impossible twisted up metal That's fork that now sits on an. Op- you know, on their table and it's signed. So like, that's an option too. If that's something you're into, Nick is showing us his yeah, well, ending for, of a routine, what you're left with. That looks pretty well, dope. Yeah, exactly. So the beauty of this is that this is the, this is the gimmick of what it looks like. Only this is unsigned because it's just one that I sort of practice with whenever mm. I'm doing this effect, but you can see that I got like a little love heart stand that goes with it. And so when you gift them this, they just have this card oh, forever. Yeah. It'll, it'll sit on their mantelpiece. It'll sit in their office. Whatever it might be, but it's just so there. Let me, let's, let me pause. There. You know what's a highlight for me seeing you exhibit this is the going that extra mile and having that stand. Like Correct. the effect could mm. still be anniversary waltz, but if you give them a gift that's presented on this special, like yeah, what is that thing? What is it? I think it's just it's a like paper a- clip of sorts. Um, I wish I knew the technical name for this, but yeah. yeah, it's basically to describe it. It's a it's a short little weight on the bottom, which could be different sized summer squares. This one is a love heart because of the theme of what we're That's trying so to achieve cool. here. It's yeah. a stiff piece of steel, and on the other end is a alligator clip. Yeah, alligator clip. They're basically. They're normally used at restaurants to hold the number of the table on it. So over here at Officeworks, which might be like your staples, you can usually find a version of that that you can prop a card into and it will stand Let's up. Let's be straight. We all know what the alligator clips are used for. All right. We don't have to skirt around. <laughs> That's why it has a love heart on the end of, of Nick's yeah. one. That's <laughs> yeah. Cool. But, but yeah. So yeah, so the and, you know ultimately, I mean, we've said some examples. Axel Heckler's fusion gimmick is available on his website. It's around sixty euros, quite an expensive bit of kit, but you get like a pack of playing cards in which you have you have the ability to perform it quite frequently, and they have like fifty performances of it. So you'll be Ooh. good for as many weddings as you do. Oh, and if you are doing the the intimate group performance, what's inevitably 
inevitably going to happen when you show the the bride and bride a piece of magic is like there's going to be some other people that come to watch it as well. Just it's going to happen. So what you could do is the calculator routine where you everyone puts in random numbers and it ends up being a number that you then reveal is the date of their wedding. That's a killer. Josh Norbito bringing it home. He's talking about the trick he doesn't like to talk about. Yeah, we'll put it in the Discord. Everyone knows it, but it's just better. I mean, I think you know it anyway, but that is going to get a massive reaction. Sponge yeah. bunnies too. I got to get the vote in for sponge oh, yeah. bunnies because that's just a nice family loving trick. And you can joke about the honeymoon, you know, while you're doing it, if you want to go that way. Yeah. And some of the guys in the chat are making some good comments as well. Like some linking ring routines could be a good idea. There's a really fun idea from Patrick in which we do a torn and restored prenup. That's, that's a good. <laughs> wow. That's funny. Yeah. Some good, some good spitballing, you might say in the comments. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of it, guys, thank you for sending through your comments. We do love seeing them. And we'll give you a quick shout out and say hello to Thomas. Hello to Ed, a good friend, Scotty Poo, Tim Maskin, Ruby. Thank you for being here. Seth and Patrick, thank you all for being here. By all means, shoot your questions through. We'll have a bit of a hidey ho. And we have a bit to sort of go over today. And it's been a little while since we've done a history portion on the podcast. And admittedly, I, I, it takes a while to put these together. I actually wrote, wrote this one about a month ago. So should we begin on what is, is there any other bits of business we need to talk about before we press Can we talk about having an intro for history lesson sessions? Because this should be an epic intro where it's like history lesson. We got all the other intros. Yeah, I think, uh, well, yeah. we can use this. I think this might be the closest. History lessons with Nick. Is that something? We'll work on it. Yeah, it's kind, kind of dramatic. Right. It's not really actually good enough. Well, okay. So yeah. All right. So what I'm thinking is I would do an intro and then we do like a thing and we talk about it. So are we ready to begin? Let's go. Let's, let's do it. Let's begin. Now I, I'm, I'm going to be sort of buried into the script. So if I miss anything, by all means, give me a heads up. So here we go. Born July 11th, 1849 in Erie, Pennsylvania was an American magician who presented large stage shows during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. He was the predecessor to Harry Houdini and the successor of Robert Heller and Isaiah Hughes, under whom he apprenticed. He was known as the Dean of, sorry, I dropped out there, <laughs> the Dean of Magic. I'm talking, of course, of Harry Keller. Let's begin. As in this case with most magicians, am I, am I coming through okay? Yeah, you're great, man. We got you loud and clear. You know, I think, he, I think, you know, I don't want to start like dissing this yep. guy right off the bat, but I think he kind of had some, some words with this guy, Heller, who he got his name from. He's Keller. And I don't know this Heller guy liked him. Well, we'll, we'll that'll actually be spoken about a little later in the thing, but it's really good well, to, uh, yeah, it's really good to see yeah. you got you're around this, but yeah, this will all come well, to fruition. Yeah. If you said yeah. kind of like he was his protege or something. I don't know if that was the case. Nick, I'm calling you out right off the bat. I'm just reporting what I read and seen across the many bits of stuff that I find on the internets and in books. I'm okay? not going to let this history lesson get past the first paragraph. We're going well, we'll, to we'll, go we'll, down this rabbit hole right now. <laughs> well, join us next week for part three of this conversation in which. <laughs> All right. I'll try and shut up for a few minutes. Well, let's begin with Harry Keller's early life. As in the case with most magicians, there is a little of Keller's early life that can be confirmed. 
His real name is Heinrich Keller. Now, Keller is spelled K-E-L-L-E-R for reference. And he was born to a German immigrant's Erie in, in Pennsylvania. He was sometimes called Henry, but later changed it to Harry. He also changed the spelling of his name from Keller, spelled K-E-L-L-E-R, to K-E-L-L-A-R. And that was to avoid confusion with Robert Heller. And this is what we just spoke about a moment ago. Oh, I see. Okay. Ah. Now, as a, me. Thank you. Yeah. Sir. Now, as a child, Keller loved to play dangerous games and was known to play chicken with passing trains. As you do. I, this was as, what you did before the internet. <laughs> <laughs> at the age of 10 he worked at carter's pharmacy on one occasion keller reportedly blew a hole in the floor of the employer's drugstore and rather than confronting the wrath of his parents keller stowed away on a train and became a vagabond he said well now i'm a, now i'm a magician <laughs> <laughs> wow Imagine messing up that bad that you blow a hole in something rather than just being like, uh-oh, you just hop a train and take off for the rest of your life so you don't get yelled at. Wow. Like you mess up a gig and you're like, no, I'm not going to finish it. Just I'm going <laughs> to run away from my life. For That's the record, crazy. I ran away from home at the age of 16 to be a street magician. So put oh. me in that ballpark. Hey, not, that, not that I'd blown a hole in a in a building, but I was like on restriction and didn't like it. <laughs> well, now during his travels, as he ran off into this life of being a vagabond, he was taken in by a British minister in upstate New York. The minister recognizing Keller's potential and intelligence offered to adopt him and pay for his education. The condition was that Keller would stay to become a minister as well. However, Keller's stay with the minister was short-lived. His life took a dramatic turn when he attended a performance of the magician, the Fakar of Ava, which is Isaiah Hughes. This experience was transformative for Keller. He was so inspired and captivated by the world of magic and illusion that he decided to pursue a career in magic. Consequently, he left the minister's care to follow his newfound passion. He later told Houdini that I became very restless and brought books of magic and finally left behind my friend and benefactor. He speaks of bringing books with him. Is that what you're saying? Well, he speaks of basically, you know, someone took him in. He was thankful for it. But when he found his passion, he didn't feel that there was any sort of ownership or, or commitment to said minister yeah. it was like that's a rough road to hoe if you're not all in on the uh, get-go right like it's welcome to america you want to be in a cult eh, maybe not you know <laughs> yeah and so i don't know like it's i don't it's it's interesting like is is he a is it a dick move when people invest in you so much and take care of you and in return they ask for something you just go like hey man thanks for everything but i'm gonna do something that's totally not for you and you're not going to benefit from any investment in me if this didn't have religion involved with it i'd say maybe that could be that way but you know religion sometimes is number one giving and caring and maybe that's just what was happening there and number mm. two a little bit manipulative and trying to get people under their skin and maybe that's what was happening as well and then when you have a free spirit artist frame of mind they go look around and they say oh no this isn't me i have to do magic 
Mm. You might not have known that at this point, but just having this mindset, you know, means you know you're not going to sit at the pew and pray for six hours a day. Mm. It's not going to work right. out, right? Well, I think I think also what this shows is that he's just unapologetically ambitious and like so deeply into this passion of magic that it's commendable, for lack of a better word, you know, like it's the but, people that do magic do it because they have to. Obviously, he was one of those. I think we'll learn more and more about that as the story goes on. Indeed. So let's start with how this career sort of started off. And I want to make mention now about the Davenport Bros. In 1869, Keller was around the around 20 years of age and began working with the Davenport brothers, Ira and William, alongside William Fay, who were known for their spiritualist act, which was presented as, a, as manifestations of supernatural powers. This collaboration was crucial in shaping his skills and understanding of stage magic and illusion. No doubt. The Devonport acts typically involved spirit cabinet performances where they would tie, be tied up inside a cabinet, I assume the spirit cabinet, and various ab objects would seemingly move and appear as if they were being played by the spirits. Keller, working with them, would have been intimately involved in setting up and executing these illusions. Keller spent several years working with them until 1873, when he and Faye parted ways with the Devonports and embarked on a world tour through Central and South America. In Mexico, they were able to make $10,000, which is approximately about $260,000 in today's figures. In 1879, the tour ended in Rio de Janeiro with an appearance before Emperor Dom Pedro II. Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. But again, it's the type of thing that he's not letting folks hold him back from his dreams and progress. Seems to be what the a great start. I mean, you're 20 years old working with the legendary Davenport Act. That's a great leg up. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. yeah, like that's like the equivalent of getting casted to be in the illusionist when it first started, right? Like now you get right. to tour in but, all these but, big but even theaters. I would say even more important because that kind of education would be so difficult to get even one magic secret, mm -hmm. much less how to perform it on a stage, but to mm -hmm. learn enough to do an act. But how would you learn that in 1850? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now here's the thing in that same year in 1875, after working with the Davenport brothers, Kellogg formed a partnership. All right. And they, and they'd moved away. So from there, Keller and Faye were traveling to England aboard a ship called the SS Boeing. Unfortunately, that ship sank up the Bay of Biscay and a disaster which resulted in them losing all their equipment. Keller and Faye survived the wreck, thankfully, but they found themselves without their tools of trade and essentially were back to the beginning of their starting careers losing everything along with all their equipment Keller lost a significant amount of money and the financial blow was compounded when Keller received news that the bank in New York where he deposited all of his earnings had failed and thus he faced both physical loss of his equipment and substantial financial setback sheesh and again Pre-internet, it's not like when you lose your luggage at the airport, you call Vanishing Inc. and ask Josh to wire you your act overnight. Or you, know, you put a post up about 
you know, your story and a GoFundMe, you know, yeah, comes through yeah. for you. It's like, no, you, you've lost the vanishing bird cage that you paid the cult of $500 for. It's one of a kind. And where do you get another one of those now? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It is, it is In your crazy. Bank failed. Now, it was said that all that Keller has was the clothes on his back and a diamond ring, which he was wearing. Keller sold the diamond ring, which he saved from the wreckage, and parted ways with Faye. Faye rejoined the Davenport brothers, performing the spiritualist act, while Keller used the funds from the ring to start to rebuild his career. Wow. He traveled to England, where he was inspired by another magician, such as uh, Decolta, to name a few. You might know DeColter with the, the routine called the Vanishing Lady, also known as the DeColter Chair, just for reference. Three years later, in 1878, Keller returned to England, invested $12,000 into purchasing new equipment after a disappointing tour in South America. Keller canceled his remaining shows and returned to New York. Shortly arriving, Keller was told of the death of the magician, Robert Heller. And this is where it goes back to what you were saying, Doug. The New York Sun accused Keller of violating Heller's personality rights, saying Heller is dead. This is written awfully. Heller is scarcely dead before we read the Keller of, uh, before we read of Keller the wizard. The media wasn't happy with with Keller going, I'm here now because because of the name. Yeah. That's right. It's like it's like Copperfield, you know, one day dying, and then I'm I'm Joshua Copperfield. All of a sudden, my name is Robert Coppersmith. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to make the sun vanish next February. I'm That's David Copperblangel. What the hell? <laughs> the article goes on to say, of course, Keller aims to profit by the reputation that Heller left by adopting a close imitation of Heller's name. Keller attempted to prove his name has always been Keller with the letter E, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this, and that he had changed it to avoid any sort of confusion with Heller, whose name is spelt double L-E-R. He also pointed out that Heller had changed his name from William Henry Palmer. The public was still unreceptive to him, causing Keller to eventually cancel his upcoming show's in the United States and returned to Brazil. Ouch. So much, so much for clearing the air, you know, over a name. You know, marketing, that's the hard part. Yeah. Big exactly. time, yeah. Yeah. Now, you need a name that people remember back then because how else can they look you up? Yeah, you kind of said the Google folks back in the day, right? Like, but, no. but you, he, you had to have been aware of your you know, peers and, and if you were looking to take the mantle from someone who'd been there, yeah, having the similar last names, just a bad idea, at least initially you got, I, I don't know how long you waited to find the greatness. Let's find out, but we're going to hear it. Mm. Alrighty. So an, after another world tour in 1882, Keller was performing again in Melbourne, Australia, home of the awesome magician. I wrote that myself. What a dickhead. I wrote a joke in my own script. It says, home of the awesome magician and podcaster Nick Kay. That's hilarious. (laughs) What a crazy time to be doing world tours. Because what's he doing? Putting everything on a boat again and risking like that? Like, I don't think I would have left the States after the first 
shipwreck. I'd be like, oh, yeah. so you mean like, oh, I fell off mm. the horse. I don't want to get back on the horse again. I mean, if my whole life sank in a boat, I think I'd get by in the big country of the United States of America. Maybe I don't put all my gear in a boat. I guess that's what they did in the day. I mean, everyone did it, right? Houdini was world traveled, and you know, I guess you did that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, this is where he met his wife Eva in eighteen eighty-two. Eva was a fan and asked Keller for an autograph. This encounter led to a long-distance relationship where they would exchange letters and postcards over the next five years. In 1887, Eva traveled to America, and they got married. Their marriage ceremony took place November 1st in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Nice place, Doug? Never been. Kalamazoo. What are you going to do in Kalamazoo? I don't know. It's there. What are you do in Kalamazoo? You could do more there than you could do in probably, you know, Pekupski. I don't even know what that is, actually. I'm making up cities now. Now, Eva Medley was not just Keller's spouse. She was also an integral part to his magic shows. She contributed musically by playing the cornet and took part of many of his illusions. Just for reference, the cornet is a brass wind instrument, much like a trumpet. Her presence added a distinctive flair to Keller's performances, both in terms of variety. Sorry. Everyone's now just that's the, away like it's the muddy, muddy bus tones. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> I think that's your call. I think that's your calling, Nick. You know, having been in a band before, that's what you should be looking forward to doing. If you know what I mean? What up, ladies? If you play the trumpet, I'm single and I need it. That's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Get no. your mug, ladies and gentlemen. No. No. Fancy. Her presence added a distinctive flair. To his performances in both variety as she brought this nice collaborative sort of nature with their acts. Their partnership was unusual at the time, as it was not common for magicians' spouses to be actively involved in their shows. Eva's role in Keller's show was multifaceted. She not only performed in the illusions, but also provided the music, enhancing the overall theater experience of the performances. Her involvement in the act was a testament to her talents and to the trust and partnership between her and Keller. And I think that's lovely. Don't you think? I mean, I kind of want a trumpet player in my show now. So yeah, I do. <laughs> It'll be great. Just just to hear like sad trombone when you get a card wrong or something. <laughs> you can start the show with the horse race thing. You know, you know I don't know it, but that'd be a good opener. I would just come out to some real big fish or some fish bone or something. You know what I mean? Like some real ska bands. That's a better vibe, actually. Yeah, that's a good time. Yeah. Keller returned to Philadelphia in October 1981 and opened his second Egyptian, his second show, I assume, Egyptian Hall. Oh, yeah. He did the Egyptian Hall skit. Correct. That's right. He opened his own little theater, which was a copycat of... Who had the Egyptian Hall first? Was it the Davenports? No, I thought it was Isaiah. Isaiah Hughes. Isaiah Hughes. I assume. Is this in your story? I'll get there. Right. On April 30, 1892, Keller ended up Keller ended a successful seven-month run of the second Egyptian Hall. Again, the second Egyptian Hall. Keller then returned to the road. During 
the periods Keller was abroad, another magician by the name of Alexander Herman. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Doug, but Alexander Herman is those old posters you see in red and black with the the question mark and the, and the turban-wrapped head, correct? That's Herman? No. Who am I thinking? No, Alex, the man who knows is different than Alexander Herman. And I, I am not a like his authority on stage magic pre 1900. So I don't really know a lot about Herman, but the man who knows was not Alexander Herman. So I know that. Okay. I am the man who knows that that man was not the man who knows. <laughs> and I, I know that Doug would know. I don't know. Man, I, I know that. Okay, well, Alexander Herman had become famous, and Keller found himself with the rival on his return to the United States. Herman was known as Herman the Great, and was also married to Adelaide Herman, a female magician and vaudeville performer billed as the Queen of Magic. Herman often criticized Keller's lack of sleight of hand and claimed he was preferred he preferred to use mechanical tricks instead. Now, while he lacked sleight of hand skills. Keller was so good in using misdirection that he said a brass band playing at full blast can march openly across the stage behind me, followed by a herd of elephants, yet no one will realize it that they went by. So this is where they're sort of pushing against each other. It's like, yo, you haven't got any sleight of hand skills. It's like, don't need it. It's interesting. That was a point of view that far back. Like, why would it even matter? Why would it? It doesn't matter. Why would it even matter? It doesn't matter what the methods are irrelevant. You know what it is? You ever hang out with the young kids who are like, I don't use gimmicks. And then all the grownups are like, I totally use gimmicks. Why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. But, you know, and they sort of got to justify it in their own way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, I'm a purist. I'm like, maybe you don't want to spend money on gimmicks because gimmicks are expensive. And you're a kid and you don't have tons of cash. Maybe that's a reason why. That's how yeah, I yeah. feel. Yeah, that's or. Or they're like, uh, I know 20 different controls for a card. Okay. And how many uh, routines do you know? I know one, but I switch <laughs> out the, the, the controls each time. Yeah. Yeah. I just exactly. do ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does. But maybe that's like where the beef boss. came from. Maybe just the between Herman and Keller, that's where the beef came from. It's like, I don't know. The magic should be done this way. And Keller's just like, nah, do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. That's a very grown-up way of looking at it, I think. That's, so, that's the way it should be. Yeah, amen to that. Now, let's talk about some notable illusions that he's actually done. So one of the most famous ones that you might see, and this is actually a meme for any sort of magician where you see Keller doing the levitation, and it says telekinesis, and it's two chicks that he's doing it. And then it says telekinephews, and it's two dudes that he's levitating. <laughs> so... That's actually called the levitation of Princess Karnak. Now, Keller was supposedly developed this trick by abruptly walking on stage during a show by Masculine, which we have to do an episode on and seeing what he did. Like he that's this brazen, is, I think, is the word like it, this is all a of a sudden you're like, let me just go scope this out in the middle of the show. Yeah. So literally like Masculine did this, did this thing and Keller was. So Mescaline did this and and Keller was unable to emulate this. And so what he did was Keller hired another magician to help build another one, but eventually designed a new trick with the help of the Otis Elevator Company, which kind of makes sense. 
like going to an elevator company. It's like, I want you to make this thing go up and down. Yeah. I'm like, who's going to do that? You know, elevators do that. You go to talk to those That's guys. They're smart. Yeah. Now, I, I, there was, there was too many variations on what actually happened. But one variation was that he quite literally walked into Max Meshlin's stage and like just walked up, had a look, and then walked off like on the actual illusion. So imagine that, like you're doing your levitation, some guy walks up yeah. on stage, has a look up your skirt and goes, thank you, and leaves. I'm imagining like, that. And I'm imagining <laughs> if I can ever afford an illusion like that and that happens, you're going to Suplex City. You come up, <laughs> you're going to Texas Clothesline off the top rope. Some wrestling yeah. moves. That's a great idea for a show. Oh my God, really? I'm sure LJ's are told they're all fake. It's not going to hurt much, but it'll look good. Yeah. Now, another version built by Keller was purchased by Harry Blackstone Sr., who used the trick for many years. The Buffalo rider, John Northern Hilliard, wrote that the levitation was a marvel of the 20th century and the crowning achievement of Mr. Keller's long, brilliant career. So his levitation was pretty brilliant. He's back. Um, He's back there doing it on my poster in the back. There you go. Did they not think it was string though? I mean, how could you not be like, yeah, that's string. That's string. Was string invented? It's just, you know, when I've seen any classic levitation before David Copperfield flew, they all look uh, like, oh, that woman's hanging on a rope. Mm. Were they all, was it, did they always, did they really have to go for a really dark stage like dimly lit theater like were they really having to you know that you know it was it was probably actually in those days because the lighting was so poor anyway it probably wasn't as big a deal for them as it was for modern performers Mm. who show up at the mylar you know they got the strips flowing in the back like that's my normal background Mm. (laughs) strippy mylar yeah were they using like oil lamps in the theater like you know tearing down like or something to light it Probably. When did light bulbs mm. happen? Yeah, we need an episode on. Uh, we need an episode on Edison, Thomas Edison. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, <laughs> here's the thing: like back in the day, they basically had these small fires that were lit everywhere in order to be able to light the stage. So you can imagine performing on stage would have just been so hot, like and so boiling, like just having nothing but heat. I mean, even pre LED lights existing to the amazing state they are now, when you have a spotlight on you, it's like it, you feel the heat as abundant as the sun. And that's and with just, air conditioning, which also yeah, wasn't happening. Exactly. So it is, it's painfully hot and sweaty up on stage. And yeah. we've spoken about this a few times, but you know, yeah. and I'm digress. sure, I'm sure they would have had their Arctic cooling vest on stage. <laughs> <clears throat> so they didn't feel it so much. You know what I mean? It would have been difficult to just have a fan on stage, you know, even just someone who rode a bike with a giant fan attached to it just to blow cool air. And there was no deodorant back then. Everyone would have stank. Like, for but sure. Maybe everyone stinks. You don't know it. Maybe it's not a problem until someone starts wearing deodorant. Yeah. Maybe it's all just about pheromones and, look, ooh, that smells uh, alluring. Well, they have oil. You put oil on, smelly oils. <laughs> Pretty sure that people use like charcoal and stuff to keep the bad smells away. But anyway, let's Could get you back. Literally, in- last thing, because of of the hygiene problem back then, like, could money? Could you literally die from like the money being given to you because it's just you know so unkept? <laughs> It'll be so interesting in a hundred years when we're talking about the modern times. You know, yeah. Remember, <laughs> you know, totally. remember when humans, you know, walked around next to each other? Remember, remember when in public. 
I just listened to a podcast on Brian Johnson, the guy who's trying to not die, the, the billionaire who's doing oh, yeah. all these tests. Really, actually, very interesting. And he's basically saying eventually AI will be able to like s- s- do tests on your body and just feed to you the stuff you need to keep yeah. you. I love that long. someone's in that race right now. Freaking yeah. And so we'll look back on today in a hundred years being like, remember when humans used to decide what they would eat? Yeah. <laughs> and they would guess. I mean, you used to go to the doctor needs. and they'd be like, you need some bloodletting. <laughs> like, yeah. you just start. Do you remember What's going the- to the, do you remember going to the doctor? Do you remember wiping your butthole with handfuls of wadded paper? God, how barbaric. That's the kind of thing. Right. You know what I mean? Remember People when- already do that. People uh, in the UK that have the boudoirs already say that. Why would you use paper to scrape off your butt instead of actually cleaning it? With they already look down on us, Nick. I literally, I I literally used my bidet before we jumped online. I did the most wonderful poop and came on board. So I'm like, I'm one of those people. Oh, the fan. Yeah, paper's old news, says Thomas, and I agree. Bidet life. Yeah, testify. Now, uh, in my research, this, there is an, this history lesson's a, gone in the shitter. <laughs> <laughs> now, in my research, this was kind of an interesting one. There's a few different ways this was this was this next effect was done, but this is my favorite one that I read, so I want to share it. Okay, and the effect is the nested boxes. Now, one story was done with a pocket watch. But the story I want to tell you is a little bit more funny because I think it's just funny. So this is what I read. Keller borrows, this is the effect. Keller borrows six finger rings from an audience, from the audience. He puts them into the barrel of a pistol. He aims and fires the pistol at a chest that's hanging on the side of the stage. Now, I love all of this because this guy's magic wand is a gun. And he's the dean of American magic. So how much more American can we be using a gun as a magic wand? I love this so much. The chest is then opened. Inside is another chest and a smaller chest and a smaller chest. Inside the smallest chest, there are six boxes nested, one in, in the other. As each is opened, they're stacked on top of each other. Inside the smallest one are the rings tied with the ribbon. And the five rings of them return to their owners. I think that's the coolest version. Thoughts? You think because six? Because you use six rings? I love the drama with the gun and all that, but like yeah. a lot of rings. Like maybe three would be enough, but also one is enough. Well, okay. So an- another variation was that like he had the six rings, he does a shot. Right, and then five rings appear inside the box, and I think that this last one appears elsewhere. So this is what I what, what I got some extra notes here. Oh, he continues with his next trick, which is like the inexhaustible bottle. An audience member call out different beverages like wine, whiskey, lemonade, or just water. Each one is poured from the same bottle, and the audience acknowledges that they are indeed receiving the drinks they requested. Once the bottle is empty, Keller takes it breaks it open and inside is a guinea pig with a sash around its neck. And that's where the sixth ring is attached to. Oh, that is a different ending I've never heard of with yeah. the, the thinker drink plot. Yeah. So the five rings go inside and the sixth one appears inside this sort of like other routine, which is the inexhaustible bottle. 
a variation of this trick was performed in front of United States President Theodore Roosevelt and his children. His children, Ethel, Archie, Quentin, and Kermit. Now, Ethel was the owner of the sixth ring after Keller had returned the rings. He asked if she could also keep the guinea pig as a pet when he finished the routine. And so Keller wrapped up the guinea pig in paper, handed it back to Ethel. And when it was open, inside was a bouquet of pink roses instead of the guinea pig that she requested as a pet. So There's your wedding trick right there. Do that at the wedding. Guinea pig to roses. Borrow six rings, load them in the gun, do the thing, and then the last one's in the, you know, the inexhaustible. Get that. You could probably get it at Penguin, and then guinea pig it up. Did that's you your, say that, one of that's that is beautiful and unique. Did you say one of Roosevelt's kids was named Kermit? By the way, I did. His what? children were Ethel, Archie, Quinton, Kermit. This is hey, back Kermit. when everyone was named before comics. <laughs> Kermit comic really got characters got their names. Yeah, that's a bad end of the stick to get Kermit. I mean, hey, Ethel's I, up there, but Kermit. I kind of like Kermit actually. I could you someone could rock Kermit. What's your name? Kermit? Like the frog? Cool. No, like the Roosevelt son. (laughs) (laughs) That's nerdy. You named after the frog? No, after Theodore Roosevelt's son. You might have heard that Keller did magic for him back in the day. Now, here's another amazing effect that was performed by Keller. It's the vanishing lamp. And here's how it was described. A lamp is seen on set on top of a glass table. Keller covers the glowing lamp with a thin cloth. Keller takes a loaded pistol, (laughs) aims it at the lamp. He fires the pistol, and this lamp just seems to melt away with the cloth falling to the stage, again with the magic gun. Keller's like, how y'all doing? Pop, pop, <laughs> Is the Yosemite Sam of magic? Magic. Magic. <laughs> magic, bitches. Bang, bang, bang. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> Man, what a great, it sounds like a great trick. Like, I want that trick. Have you I ever love seen anyone idea. do a vanishing light bulb? I'm trying to think of, have I ever seen that? Well, think how, think how gnarly this would be if you did, like, just a variation of this, for example. Imagine you took you had a person and you covered him with a cloth. And then you shot the cloth, the person vanishes and the cloth just falls. Like it, it just like the bullet takes the cloth and it like flies That's back on color. the page. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like the, the, the visual of like this cloth just sort of like getting hit and going yeah. away. It's and like the, the mascot in- moth illusion. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Cloth. Like how crazy would that look? But um. here's a, here's a fun little note that I found. Keller was known to have a short temper. And once after an incident in which the vanishing lamp failed to vanish, he shot a man. (laughs) (laughs) He actually took an ax to the defective prop and beat the crap out of it. Yeah. It says here that later Keller built another one that would continue to work reliably long after his retirement. So yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. Now, here's a little extra, a couple of extra ones that we spoke about, a couple of quickies. One was the vanishing birdcage. And in this illusion, a birdcage with, with a live bird would disappear from Keller's hands. Now, the, the trick typically involves a collapsible cage equipped with a mechanism that allows it 
to be quickly folded into a smaller space, which shoots up the magician's sleeve. The effect of this illusion relies on the speed and the collapse of the magician's ability to distract the audience for the crucial moment. Now, we were talking about this just before the show, and it was said that he actually paid a lot of money to have this privilege, which I guess was originally contributed to Robert Houdin, who who reinvented and, and kind of perfected this illusion. Was this not Dakota's trick, the vanishing birdcage? I'm pretty sure it was. Dakota's the genius. There's oh, people who performed his genius stuff. All right. Or this. He might have got it off Penguin. Or $34.95. <laughs> I think that's what he paid for it. <laughs> it's so lifelike, though. Wow. <laughs> Look, in that dimly lit theater, that's fooling I, everyone. No, oh, wow. actually, what he paid, like $500 for this secret in the 1800s from Dakota. That has, that has one star, that, that review? Did you see that thing? Yeah, that could you just read? Can we just read the review? No, it's it's ones and zeros in the ether now. Okay, now here's the thing, and it actually didn't really talk much about his his spiritualist stuff, and I wanted to make mention of it because of those of you who are aware of the spirit cap and so forth, I'm familiar with the color rope tie. So I did a little research, and just I really wanted yeah. to give it effectively. Yeah. I wanted to give it an honorable mention. So right. that's an important piece. I, I agree, but none it of probably it came good. right from the Davenport show as well, right? This rope tie is probably something they did in the cabinet, I would imagine. Yeah, and I imagine that he sort of came up with his own ideas, perhaps, unless he just blatantly took their rope tie, called it the Keller rope tie, and did that. Now, for those of you who are unaware of the Keller rope tie, it's effectively a type of rope tie in which you're you're tying up your entire body, almost with your hands behind your back. And you're tied up over your neck and your shoulders. And basically, your entire person is all wrapped up. Yet, as you're wrapped up, some cool stuff. Are the hands connected to the knees? Is that what it is? Like the hands are bound to the knees? Something like that? There's a few variations. Sometimes you're sitting down. Sometimes you're standing up when you do it. I've seen variations of it where you, you tie up a spectator and get yourself in and out. But yeah, but here we go. So... In Keller's performances often included illusions that mimic spiritualist mediums involving materializations and dematerializations. These tricks were likely a combination of sleight of hand, hidden assistance, and mechanical devices. For instance, in a spiritual cab act, secret compartments or assistance concealed within the cabinet could orchestrate the appearance and disappearance of objects. So that was some of the things he did. But again, all this history-based stuff is always never mentioning this color rope tie, and I just felt like it needed to be mentioned. Yeah, good call. I agree. Mm. Yeah. So as things go on, we slowly near the end of his performing career and his retirement because Keller retired in 1908 and allowed Howard Thurston to be his successor. Keller had met Thurston, who was doing card tricks while on vacation in Paris, France. Keller did his final show at Ford's Theater in Baltimore, Maryland. Keller eventually moved to his house in Los Angeles, California, and Keller's wife died two years later in 1910. Keller was often visited by other magicians, notably including Harry Houdini. On November 11, 1817, Houdini put together a show for the Society of American Magicians to benefit the families who died in the sinking of the USS Antilles by a German U-boat. Houdini got Keller to come on, come out of retirement. Sorry, I'll say that again. Houdini got Keller to come out of retirement to perform one more show. 
The show took place on the largest stage at the time, the Hippodrome. After Keller's performance, Keller started to leave, but Houdini stopped him, saying, The American's greatest magician should be carried off in triumph after his final public performance. The members of the, of the Society of American Magicians helped Keller into a seat of a seated sedan, lifted him up, and as he fired guns into the air, <laughs> and then sang Team America's theme, America, yeah. No. As he was lifted, for those of you that don't know, a sedan chair is one of those things you might see in the old timey films where it's like like a little little box, almost you know, like a box with a seat in it, and it's got these long poles, and people can pick it up from either side and carry the people through the town. You might see like in the movies like where like the king and queen the prince or so forth are being carried that way where they're being carried yeah. around everywhere that's a sedan chair just for reference so so they put him in the sedan chair lifted him up and the 125 piece hippodrome orchestra played old lang syne while he was slowly taken away i'm wondering why thurston got the nod and not houdini like how did he get the mantle and Keller's like, you're the one, Thurston. And meanwhile, Houdini is crushing. Mm. Yeah. Probably about that time, Houdini decided there needed to be a society of American magicians. That's what I think happened. I'm hypothesizing here, but he started that club and he was the first president. Oh, you're yeah. the dean? Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually wonder that because, I mean, Houdini was didn't really have anyone to to to... Like they handballed him anything, did he? Well, well, I mean, it's the same well, era. Like, I'm wondering, what did Thurston bring to the table that Houdini did not at the time? Okay. Well, well, hang on a second. Be no, because Robert Houdin was sort of like Houdini. What's up? Like, and they they had a friendship, which is why. No, was mm. Robert Houdin after? Because they were tight, Houdin and Houdini. I mean, were they? Yeah, they were tight. Yeah, I mean. Harry Houdini was Eric Weiss. And then Inspi for sure, his inspiration. I, did they know each other? Do we know that? I'm going to say yes. From It's been a while since I read the, uh, the Houdini book, but I'm certain of it that that, I don't know. There was an influence. And I guess just in time, you know, when you, when you influence and you're going up the ladder, it's just a matter of time before you meet your heroes. It really is. I mean, what? let me tell you this. I was in my discord today. I'm going to put a little shine on Marty Jacobs, who writes a blog. Marty is a student and a scholar and just a gentleman. And he writes a magic history blog. And today he wrote about the man who inspired Robert Houdin. So Robert Houdin's inspiration. There's like a four or five page dissertation on this gentleman. I wish I could uh, recollect his name, but he talks about the blooming rose or blooming orange tree, you know, that Houdin yeah popularized and this is the man that inspired him yeah boy you got to think about being around for that you know and yeah because to my knowledge that was inspired by the indian mango tree trick is mm. what it was called originally yeah. and that's what inspired that that but, one but this was like the guy maybe that preceded Houdin and bringing formal magic to the theater and out of the wizard robe era, yeah you know so. yeah it was it was a French magician who dressed up like a wizard, really big in stature. His name started with B. I can't pronounce it, but that was kind of his his first sort of influence in that in uh, to for Robert Houdin. 
that got him into that sort of realm. But it was Robert Houdin. He went from being like, we're not wizards. We're going to wear tuxes and we're going to be suave. Yeah. And sophisticated and the theater. For the elite. Yeah. Very, very important person in, um, in that realm. But not, of course, to steal anything away from the amazing Harry Keller. But this is where our good friend Harry Keller's story comes to an end. Because Harry Keller's death on March 10th, in 1922 in Los Angeles, California. He shot himself in the foot and bled to death. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Starting again. Harry Keller's death in March 10th, 1922 in Los Angeles, California was a significant loss to the world of magic. His influence, his influence however, continues to be felt. Keller was not just a master magician, but also a pioneer who set a high standard for theatrical magic and inspired future generations of magicians. Keller's life story is a testament to his resilience, creativity, and passion for magic. From his early escape from home after an exploding incident to his rise as a legendary magician, Keller's journey is a remarkable story of determination and innovation. Keller's life is a series of adventures from blowing up holes in pharmacies to working for spiritualists to working with spiritualists. Spiritual lie. I need a drink like you would not believe. Here we go. Spiritual lie. To working with spiritualists to surviving a shipwreck. What? To surviving a shipwreck and losing all of his possessions. These experiences shaped him into a resilient and dynamic performer. Keller's magic was not just about the illusions he performed. It was about the way he connected with his audience, making each performance a memorable experience. His elaborate productions, his flair for the dramatic, and his ability to blend magic with a sense of mystery and wonder made him a pioneer in the field. His legacy is seen in a way the magic is performed and perceived even today. The end of Keller's career and his life was marked by respect and admiration of his peers, not just in America, but all over the world and indeed on this podcast. A testament to the impact he had on the world of magic. His story from a runaway boy to a celebrated magician is a powerful reminder the possibilities that lie in passion, hard work, and the courage to pursue one's dream. And that is the story of our friend Harry Keller. So what, it's, it's uh, over 100 years now, just over 100 years, and we're still using the cult of chairs and his methods and, and routines and... Even the uh, inexhaustible bottle is not wildly known. Like there aren't like great working methods that everyone just has access to. It's still like a pretty secretive thing. And I feel like without him, Chris, Ange Chris Angel isn't doing his thing, you know, mm. that he does. And that's the boxes certainly still yeah. living on. <clears throat> yeah, it's crazy. And we still have, what? you know, his poster on the wall. Like what, you know. Who else do do people still have a poster of from over a hundred years ago? Well, yeah, crazy. You have George, the Supreme Master of Magic. I guess it depends on how nerdy you are as to how many old posters you have in your room. Yeah. I want to do an episode on George, the Supreme Master of Magic. I've seen, I've had this poster for years. Okay, I, I know nothing about George, the Supreme Master. Eighteen people, a carload of scenic effects. Okay. Is, Car is he Greek? Because every George I know is Greek. So is that a thing? if I knew, I'd tell you. I don't know. All I know is I have his poster. Huh. 
Well, at least you have that. Put it on the list. Poster. Yeah. Add George. By the way, the Discord, you guys, we we added the post and roast channel and it's been going great. And as you would have seen, Nick put up a challenge for people to to discover the method for one of his effects. And I love it watching people's methods, people saying it's in the video must be in reverse, using a green screen. I love all I love the wacky uh theories coming out and it's good to see it being used. The that the sounds <laughs> like a good time. Yeah. It's some of them actually inspired some really cool ideas for me, like just knowing what they thought. I did say that if you guys guessed, made 10 guesses, that I would ex- reveal all, and there has been 10 guesses. So I'm going to post immediately after, the, after this podcast the exact method on how that effect was achieved. So by all means, scope out the Discord and have a giggle with us. It's a very, very fun time. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Which is, yeah, the link is in the description of wherever you're listening or watching this. So you can, you can jump in there, but wow. Well, that's a good lesson on Harry Keller. To be honest, I didn't know anything about him. So I'm glad I could, I could, at least I could, uh, start to get, wrap my head around who he is and what he's responsible for and why Mm -hmm. we have his posters on our walls. So. Well, also just to sort of appreciate, like from the beginning, we're talking about a kid who, like blew a hole in the floor of a pharmacy and then went, oh, <laughs> ran off. Yeah. Right. Basically, like, you know, met this minister. Thank you so much. I'm going to go be a spiritualist for a while. Did that. Went on tour. Did magic shows. Lost everything in a shipwreck, which he survived. You know? That is crazy. Yeah. Lost everything. Lost everything but the clothes on his back and the ring on his finger. Use that to start all over again to the point where he's one of the most important pieces of magical history and influenced so many, you know? Like, it is really interesting. I think that's a pretty good final word. I don't even think we need a final word. I think that Harry Keller... You read my mind. I'm like, that better be the final word. Yeah, that's (laughs) it. Yeah, that was a good one. Even if you lose everything on a ship, if you still have a diamond ring, you've got a chance, my friends. And I, I would say you don't even need that if you have magic. Just go busk it up a little bit. You'll get there. And maybe learn a, a bit more impromptu magic so you're not so reliant on physical props that can get shipwrecked. And, yeah, learn some know, sleight of hand, Keller. Come on, dude. Sleight of hand, PK touches, you know, some coin magic, and you're golden. But anyway, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. It's time for us to disappear now. Disappear now. But we'll see you again on the next episode of The Magic Guys.